Data-Driven Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we explore how to transform your company and career through data-driven decision-making. Want to become a data storytelling aficionado? Then sit back, relax, and get ready to unlock the true potential of your data. Here's the host of the Data-Driven Podcast, Dominic Bohan. Welcome to the Data Driven Podcast, where we dive deep into getting more value from our business data. Whether you're a data professional or just curious about developing data skills, the Data Driven Podcast is here to guide you along your journey. I'm your host and the co-founder of Story IQ, Dominic Bohan. Today, we're going to discuss understanding AI-driven insights in marketing and human motivation. Joining us today is Brian Gunert, who is the CEO at Resonate, which is a pioneer in AI-driven data and intelligence. They deliver proprietary, privacy-safe consumer data for insights, analysis, and activation. The Resonate dataset includes more than 14,000 rich, relevant, real-time data points that describe more than 230 million US individuals. Today, Brian and I will discuss the current state of AI in data-driven marketing. Okay, here's my conversation with Brian Gunert, the CEO at Resonate. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Great to be here, Dominic. Thanks for the time. Nice. Can you share with us uh, in simple terms, what does Resonate do and how it uses AI to deliver data-driven insights? Absolutely. So Resonate has built a unique understanding of the U.S. consumer across 14,000 different attributes, primarily starting what makes us different or unique as human beings, which is really our values, our beliefs, our motivations. Sure, we have demographics and we have things that a lot of marketers have historically had, but really understanding a human being at the values base that drives their decisions. And so over the last 13, 14 years, we've leveraged AI to understand consumers and how to best interact with them and reach them in a way that connects with them on a human level, not just kind of a high level demographic level. Okay, that sounds great. Can you share with us some stories and examples of what that might look like? So what's a human level insight that you're able to produce that goes way beyond your basic like demographic stuff? Sure. So for instance, if we think about human values, those things are personal values about what's important to you is spending time with your family, achievement, stimulating, kind of living an exciting life. Those are types of things that kind of drive us in our decisions and not just the products we buy, but how we live our life, the things that we want to engage in. So Things like influence, is that important to you as a person? And how does that show up in the things that you do? So very different, like I said, than kind of demics, demographics or even kind of basic psychographics. Very much about the things that you as a human being may not even understand that these things drive you, but you tend to do things that align with those kind of values or those motivations. Okay. That sounds just a tiny bit scary. So is it possible that you have insights about your customers that they don't even realize about themselves? Well, what I'd say is if they look at why they do things, they would absolutely know those things. But you know, one of the things I think is interesting is human beings, we don't make conscious decisions every moment. You know, I had at one point we were raising money, I had an investor said, well, mac and cheese doesn't have a human value. Like if I'm a mom that's buying human uh, buying macaroni and cheese, that's not a human value. 
And the reality is we walk through a grocery store not thinking about the decisions we're making, but there really are motivations behind everything we do. So in that scenario, it's about, I want to give my kids something they're really going to enjoy. I know that they're going to eat. It's not going to take much time to make, but also they're going to be excited to see or have as a meal. So those things in life, we are kind of, we view the world based on those values. So do I think people understand that? Yes, I think they understand it. So I don't think we're uncovering things that they don't know, but they don't always think about that as they're making the decision. Okay. So they wouldn't be surprised, but they may have never articulated it in words, even in their own mind, some of these insights about their the true behavior, the true values that are driving their purchases and decisions. Yeah, I'd say that that's possible for sure. You know, people think about the larger ticket items when they think about the values that they apply to those things. Like if they buy a car or they're buying a house or larger kind of ticket items, they, there's definitely a, I care about quality and safety for my family and those types of things that, that I think are very omnipresent in those decisions. But again, in, on a day-to-day basis, the fact that you picked up and bought, you know, this uh, phone versus that phone may not be as quite as obvious of the things that are values and motivations that are driving those decisions. That's cool. So we've got some obvious values like safety, security, financial security, a future for our families, our children. What are some of the not obvious values and insights that emerge that you're able to detect? Well, I think from a a values perspective, one of the things that I was not a values-based expert when, when we started this business. My background is in technology and large data sets and kind of understanding data through kind of volumes of data and understanding different things, whether it was information security or it's people. The thing that I found most interesting was that as I dug deeper into kind of values-based marketing and values-based understanding and kind of the science behind that, and we brought in experts that have been doing this for decades, there's only about 30 values as human beings that really exist. And that doesn't matter what culture, where you live, you know, where, how you grew up. These things are relatively well-defined and understood. And so, you know, it's interesting because there's not this like super nuance, like, oh, that's a human value that no one would ever think about because they're really actually pretty common. You know, as as much as we want to think how individualistic we are and how there's no one exactly like us, marketing's based on the fact that there are groups of people that are similar to each other. And it is a combination of those values that, that define kind of the view of the world. But you know, there is only a set number of common values that, again, it doesn't matter what culture or where you grew up or, you know, how you grew up. They're all very similar. Yep. Uh, makes sense. So the, we've got these 30 values. So what are some of the ones that may be a bit less obvious that people might not be aware of a pretty universal human values? So if, if I think about those, there are things like tolerance or connecting with nature or Things they might think about like equality or duty, you know, influence, you know, some of those don't always kind of pop. You know, people think about, I think you touched on them, my safety, right? Financial security, those types of things. But things like pleasure and independence, you know, would you, would you think about those typically as a human value, but they are very much core to kind of human values. So th- there's a number of those that not everyone thinks about as they're kind of thinking about their marketing message or their positioning, but really important, you know. One of the things I did is I asked our AI, because I knew we had our conversation this morning, tell me about heavy listeners of technology podcasts that listen during a commute. And I was really curious to see what came back 
through all the data that we have, kind of leveraging our generative AI kind of solution. And, you know, achievement, stimulation, influence, we're at the top of the list of things that were really important. And the question is, how does that translate into what you're going to do as a marketer, right? So for achievement, you know, use themes of being admired or appreciated, you know, successful, and, and that you have deep knowledge and that you are creative. Those are things that would be really important in your message. These are great tips for me as the host of this podcast, because uh, I'm going to be honest with you, it's something I've probably overlooked. It's like, okay, they're following a data-driven podcast. Hi, listeners. So I perhaps presumed that you want to hear lots of detail about data, but it makes sense that most people, the true underlying motivation is not that they particularly care about data or AI, but how it helps them with achievement, with their personal goals. Absolutely. And what's interesting, and we haven't talked about this much yet, but I also just looked at kind of the demographics and they're what you'd expect, you know, tend to be younger, more affluent, you know, more male, like they're typical. They're not surprising. And this is why as a marketer, demographics are not a great way to define an audience. It's not a bad way to filter out people that don't quite fit in, but not a great way to kind of think about marketing from the standpoint of, I want to really connect with somebody. You know, if you use demographics, for instance, if uh, I'll use an extreme case, you're buying a Ferrari. Let's say you are Ferrari, you want to sell Ferraris. Well, the filter of can you afford a Ferrari is pretty important in that conversation because there's a lot of people like Ferraris that unfortunately can't afford them. So it's a good filter. But just because you have the means to buy a Ferrari, it by no means means you're going to buy one. Mm -hmm. Right. So, <laughs> so this is kind of the way to think about kind of, I believe, how marketing has already started to move and is moving very quickly is. How do I connect at a deeper level and identify not just do they have the ability to buy, but why would they buy and are they going to buy? Yep. Um, side note to the editor here. So this has turned into the second episode, which is great. We want a free flowing conversation. No, don't be sorry at all. This is fantastic stuff. All right. So let's double down on uh, demographics and psychographics. So you've touched on some of the limitations of demographics. Is this still an issue where people are still doing marketing in a very, at least some people in a very simplistic way? based on demographics? I'm always surprised, but I would say very much so demographics still drives a lot of the marketing conversation and kind of segmentation. Again, not being used as a filter, but being used as kind of the core characteristics of the segments that they're defining. So we've done a number of things, leveraging AI, for instance, to start with people's values, their motivations, and demographic, just like I had mentioned with the podcast, you can identify the demographics, but that's not the definition of that you should be using from a segmentation perspective. So, you know, listen, I, I understand why marketing has focused on demographics. It was really the first scaled understanding of people that they could get, right? If you think about things as basic as kind of GRPs for TV, and it's really all demographic. Sorry, what's a GRP? Gross rating point, which is basically okay. measuring the people that are watching different types of TV shows. So yep. they're demographically defined. Even today, they're very much demographically defined. Males between 25 and 34 watch this show, right? Or women between 18 and 24 watch this show. That was because there really wasn't nothing else that at scale you could kind of report on. And that's changed pretty dramatically. I mean, the evolution of that was, you know, clusters, whether it be like prism clusters or mosaic clusters. But, hey, we're going to predefine the entire world into 36 or 72 kind of audiences, which force fits people into things that they don't really fit in, right? So, okay, this is like the, just to clarify, the old school sort of 
like dink like dual income no kids they have these kind of catchy names yeah okay yeah like uh I, I can't remember the the blue blood pickup drive truck drivers or whatever like there's mm. there's uh unfortunately i don't remember all of them or, or the exact ones but but yes like that's exactly it and listen that was an evolution that was important because it went beyond kind of the basic conversation of demographics to try to include other characteristics that would be interesting but Again, because there was a challenge of how do you really understand every individual across a very kind of rich depth of understanding, you had to force fit people into, into different categories. And it's true, for instance, even 10, 12 years ago, soccer moms. Everybody talked about soccer moms 10, 12 mm -hmm. months ago, which is still just kind of evolution of that kind of prism cluster mentality or that clustering mentality. You know, we believe there's a better way, and it's really to define the audience based on the things that are most relevant to what you're either selling or what you're communicating or how you want to connect with those people. So let's uh, learn about the better way. Before we do, though, can you share with us some stories, perhaps, of relying solely on demographics and doing things the old way and how that can go astray? Well, I would maybe start with the example I might have used just a few minutes ago, which is if you are looking, you know, if you're a Ferrari and you're looking for new Ferrari buyers and, you, you know, the basics of demographics mm -hmm. would say... Mm -hmm anybody above a certain income with a net worth is a Ferrari buyer. And that's a, that's a really kind mm -hmm. of simplistic view of demographics driving those things. You know, I'm trying to think of some other ones that may be kind of obvious. And, you know, unfortunately, I'm scratching my head a little bit because it's, it's not coming to mind. So, so Dominic, if I go a little further on kind of the demographic definition, consumer activism, and more importantly, voting with their wallet. In other words, People that really care, for instance, about the environment and what they're going to do about that. If you read kind of the traditional thinking of demographics, it skews very much younger. It's the younger generation. And the reality is they're interested in that. It's important to them. But if you look at really the economic decisions that get made that change behavior, it's really it skews a little bit older based on their kind of buying patterns and the things that they're willing to buy based on the impact to the, for instance, the environment. So traditionally, demographics would say it's younger, but the reality is who actually does what we talk about here is you know, a little bit older. Thanks, great example. So whether it's marketing Ferraris or positioning your brand as environmentally friendly, basically the impact is if you go with demographics, you're gonna be making a heroic assumption that everyone in that bucket has those values, it's gonna be wrong in a lot of cases and you're gonna burn a lot of cash perhaps advertising to the wrong people. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so um, we've established the issue with simple demographics and psychographics. Can you share with us the better way based on motivations? Yeah, well, you start with result that you're looking for. So when I say the result, you, for instance, want to connect with consumers that are willing to make, using this example about environment, kind of voting with their wallet from an environment perspective of the products they'll buy. Start with that value. Start with the definition of the audience as that characteristic of that value and that value tied to action. So one of the things that we didn't talk much about is there's one thing about understanding values. It's also, are they willing to apply those values into the decisions they make? But start with those characteristics. And from that, what you'll naturally see is a kind of a an audience that has multiple segments in it that are willing to do varying levels of engagement or have varying levels of engagement around those, for instance, environmental issues and willing to really pay more to have to work with or buy from a company that's environmentally focused on creating a better planet. 
Perfect. Can we drill deep into this example? So it's a great hypothetical. Let's say we've got a company that sells premium products. They're more expensive, but they're genuinely environmentally friendly, genuinely better than the competition in terms of the environmental impact. What could Resonate do for a company like this? How could you work with them to give them the data that they need? Yeah. So because this is data that we have collected at scale, and one of the things we mentioned 14,000 attributes it includes values, which are, as I mentioned, only you know, roughly 30. But there's also motivations beyond values. There's other things beyond values. There's buyer preferences as well. But how we would work with them is literally there's two ways. One is we can ingest their first party data, connect it to our understanding and provide very deep understanding of who their existing client is and segment through that process, as well as then identifying of 230 million consumers who else shares those values and those motivations. And through that process, as I said, we can leverage AI to, use seg to, to basically segment that into multiple audiences that also identify slightly different, for instance, characteristics in which values are going to be most important in those decisions, what motivations or what preferences. So maybe it's, yes, I'm willing to pay more for an environmentally sound product and company that I believe is committed to that, but high quality is really important to me as well. Whereas others may be, well, I want to do that, but price competitive is more important than high quality. So there's different buying preferences that will also kind of naturally bubble to the top as you really start to segment those audiences. But for companies that have a brand that have already got customers, it's really easy for us to identify how they're different across their customer base and identify every prospect that would be the next best customer for them. So is this like a, a bit like a lookalike audience on steroids? get their first party data and see who's actually willing to pay more in this example for environmentally friendly products, and then use that to identify people across the entire United States or two thirds of it, I guess, uh, with your 230 million. I usually bristle when someone says you're doing lookalike modeling. <laughs> okay. Um, and and the, the reason I say that is because there's very, lookalike modeling is pretty rudimentary from the standpoint of you know, I, I have one model and I, I apply that model across everybody and I'm doing a lookalike that all shows up the same. And the thing that we've mm -hmm. built is we maintain over 14,000 models. So, so when you create or define an audience, we are actually identifying the specific people with those characteristics, not just doing a lookalike, what you've defined as the characteristic. And that's a really, it's a nuance. It's an important nuance, but it's one that Mm. Candidly, sometimes it is hard to kind of get across what's the difference in those things. But you should look at it as from the standpoint of precision and modeling at an attribute level and understanding people at an attribute level versus just doing one lookalike of your customer base. Okay. <laughs> let, <laughs> let me see if I understand it. I may not, but I think what you're saying is that uh, like when you go into Facebook's ad platform, you give a dump of your existing customers and they find people that look like those customers, they're probably relying on some of the demographic data. Whereas you're saying specifically, you're only going to identify people with the attributes, not just perhaps in that list, but that you've worked with the client to identify this is actually what we're going for. Better said than I just said it. Yeah. So most look like models are using, as you, you just point out, demographics to say, okay, well, they're mostly... 45 to 54 year old males. So we're going to, and some other combination of demographics, and we're going to use that as a lookalike. 
versus really the attributes of those individuals. So yes, well said. In fact, I might use that going forward. Sure. <laughs> sure. So uh, you bristled a little bit at the comparison or the uh, two lookalike audiences, which is something that a lot of our viewers will be familiar with on platforms like Meta or Google Ads, where you can, for those that don't know, where you can upload an existing audience and they're going to find people that are similar to that audience. But what they're doing is relying on demographics to a large extent in the background. So tell us a bit about why Resonate is different. Yeah, so what I would call that is more of a proxy audience. So an audience that you're, you're using, as you mentioned, basic demographics or some combination of demographics and behaviors to say, oh, these people look like those people. When With what we do, we don't leverage proxies. We actually identify the individuals with those specific characteristics or a attributes to be able to reach them, engage mm -hmm. with them, target your advertising to them, and also build your messaging around the very specific things that are important to that audience. So there are no proxies in how we've approached this. It's really you're connecting with people with those very specific attributes. So that, that's why I bristled a little bit that it's, it's not a lookalike. It's literally mm -hmm. these are the characteristics <laughs> and attributes of these individual people, not a lookalike of those people. Gotcha. So in the background, and we'll get into this in the next episode, we're saying we know with a certain level of confidence that this person actually cares about the environment or maybe status in the uh, case of correct. the Ferrari bio. Absolutely correct. That is exactly what we're saying. Okay. So we're going for, I hesitate to call it facts, but uh, a good estimate of the probability that that's their true value, not using a proxy, not using some other indicator that suggests that they have that value. Yeah, a very uh, precision-driven understanding of those people. Perfect. And I think that's going to be a perfect tie-in to the next episode. I think we've established the massive value we can get from doing this. And then the next episode is the how. So before we close this one out, anything else you wanted to share on going beyond demographics and psychographics? The, the only thing I'd share is if you truly want, as a marketer, you want to connect with individual people. It's really at that kind of human level. And so your longest relationships... And the people that are going to stay with you is if you connect at a very humanistic level. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever watched Simon Sinek's TED Talk on the Golden Circle, have, yeah. but it's one that I, ref I watch probably twice a year just to, to refresh. And one of the big takeaways is people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And we're talking about the why people do things. And if you can connect at that level, you build stronger relationships that longer, that last longer and that are more genuine. And so it is something for a marketer to also realize you have to be genuine in your marketing. You can't say you're environmentally friendly and in reality, you're not because someone that really cares about that will discover that and you'll lose that customer forever. That makes a lot of sense. And I like the tying it all together as that's the whole reason we're doing this so that we have data and we have evidence to support targeting the right people with our message of why, why you should care about our product. That's awesome. Thank you. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Data Driven Podcast. Thanks to Brian Gannert, CEO at Resonate, for joining us. So in part two of this interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Brian and I are going to discuss the current state of AI in data-driven marketing. And we'll expand on how it can help us go beyond demographics to understand customers' true motivations. If you can't wait until our next episode, you'd like to learn more about Brian, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, you can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is at Brian Gnert, or visit his company website, 
resonate.com. One link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to datadrivenpod.com. We've got summaries of all our episodes and contact information for our guests. And if you want to share your stories of how you got the most out of data, you can apply to be a guest speaker on the Data Driven Podcast. Of course, you can always contact me directly on LinkedIn. Go to bit.ly slash Dombey. We're publishing multiple episodes each week, so hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. We'll be back in your feed tomorrow. That's all for today. But remember, until next time, when it comes to data, less is more.